0: This is 50 miles per hour.
1: Pop quiz, hot shot! There's a bomb on a bus. You're deeply nuts, you know that. Once the bus goes 50 miles an hour, the bomb is on.
0: Stay on or get off.
1: If it drops below 50, Stay
2: on or get off?
1: it blows up. Oh darn. What do you do? You have a hair trigger aimed at your head, what do you do? What do you do? What do you do?
0: I'm your host, Chris Tapley, and you're listening to an oral history of director Jan de Bont's 1994 summer blockbuster, Speed. Straight from the people who made it happen. Now, don't forget to fasten your seatbelts. Let's hit the road. Take a deep breath, because we are finally through the thick of it as it pertains to Speed. The hard part, you know, making the movie is done. The movie is finished. We're ready for release. And so this final phase of 50 miles per hour will be a bit looser, a bit less of a hell ride as the last several months covering the production and post-production phases have been. Now it's time to market the movie to the masses and make good on the promise of test screenings, which have the suits at Fox feeling pretty good about the potential hit they have on their hands. All of this six months or so after going into production on what they all saw as a B-level genre exercise. Of course, this isn't a linear progression. The Fox marketing department has been involved for quite a while now as the footage has come in through dailies and gone through the editing process. With that in mind, let me bring back a voice from the development phase, Tom Jacobson, Fox's former president of production. So Tony Sella, who was the head of creative at the time, and then went on
3: years later to become the head of, I think the head of marketing um, at Fox, wildly talented, creative guy in in marketing, came into my office and we had a good relationship. I really like the marketing guys because you got to start talking to them early. Like they got to understand what they are making so that they're marketing the same thing that you're making. He came into my office and he said to me, I remember this very distinctly. You have no idea what you have with speed. I said, what what are you talking about? We're like three weeks into post-production
2: and it'd gone well.
3: We liked it, but it was the movie we were making. He said, this movie's amazing. This movie's a monster. So he was like, he knew right away from seeing the footage. He says, I have so much material to work with on a trailer. This is, this is going to be fantastic. Now I went like, well, that's fantastic, but like, okay, we'll see. Not pessimistic or anything, but just like, who knows? I don't know. That's really nice to hear. It's much better than the opposite, right?
0: Tom also tells me that this was a big no-no, by the way. Marketing is not supposed to say anything to creative about the state of a film or give their opinion since it's early days and a director's cut hasn't been assembled. But that's how excited Tony Sella was. And indeed, Sella is largely seen as a savant in this realm. I'm told he actually coined the film's tagline, Get Ready for Rush Hour. And he was a massive part of Fox's success not only in this era, but right on through the 90s and into the next decade. I wish I could say I had an interview with him for the purposes of an episode focused on the marketing of Speed, but I just could never track him down. He and countless others were scattered to the winds following the Disney acquisition of Fox in 2019. In any case, let's stick with Tom here for a bit. So then we go out and preview. We do our first preview, and it goes really
3: well. Like People are really excited. And it scores well, whatever it scores. And and then we get notes from it. And the most important thing about the preview process is like sitting in the audience and what's playing, what's not playing, and and using it creatively. And of course, you get the cards, and you find out if they don't like something, and Scores are less important than actually reacting to how it's playing. So we we'll go back and uh, the editor, they keep working. Two weeks later, they do some tightening. They do this. They do that based on that screening. We go out and have a second screening and it just blows the doors off. People go crazy. People start plotting at the end. We get chills, right? Because it's one of those moments like, what do we have here? And then we do a focus group. And you ever in one of these screenings where there's a guy up in front and he's saying, oh, who, who liked it? Who didn't like it? What moments do you like? And they couldn't stop. They just couldn't. He asked like one question. They couldn't stop talking. This movie's amazing. Like he was trying to guide them to like this. And they kept talking about Die Hard because they kept saying, like, this is the best. This is better than Die Hard. This is just like Die Hard, but, but even better. And so all of the um, studio executives are like, whoa. And Tom Sherrick, who was the head of uh, distribution and marketing or distribution, right there in the screening. And and like I said, we were scheduled to be in August, which is, you know, you're going to have hit movies in August, but it's not where you put your big movies. And this was already April. I don't know when it was. It was late. He he had a calendar there and he even had to like the release calendar of the whole industry. Right. Because he would have He said, we're moving this movie up. We're moving the teeth of summer. This is a big hit movie. We're going to sell this like it's diehard right now. And he he looked at all of us in production, and I remember him saying, okay, you guys are done now, it's us. We're we're riding this baby home. So they
0: knew. They, They knew from that screen. It was one of the most exciting screens I've ever been at. This all overlaps with some of the things we've been discussing the last few weeks, of course. If you've been following along, you know that they lined up this release date with things still left to be shot, particularly the model work and the subway sequence. And of course post-production sound work was put on the fast track, as we illustrated a couple weeks back. So all of these elements are coming together in a race against time as they're testing the film for audiences, presumably with placeholder kind of stuff and storyboards to help bridge the gaps in these screenings. So the film is performing this well, and it's not even finished. Of course Fox was pumped. Let's go to the writer of Speed, Graham Yost. We haven't heard from him in ages. My wife and I go
4: down to Lakewood for a test screening. She hadn't seen it. First time I'm seeing it with a big audience. We're sitting fairly far back. And the way Tom Sherrick put it was he said, I knew the movie was going to be a hit when people going out to the bathroom left walking backwards because they wanted to not miss, they wanted to miss as little of the film as possible. So they're walking out, they hit the door, they run to the bathroom, they go to the whiz and come running back in. He said that I knew it was a hit. And I love that sort of you know, old movie sense of what's working. We sat around for the focus group and, you know, they're as meaningful and as meaningless as you want them to be, but they seem to like the movie. But I remember it was in that lobby when Tom Jacobson, they had a quick conference and they said, let's, let's release it in June. Um, We'll go up against city slickers too. We'll go up against Flintstones.
0: And another voice we haven't heard from in a while, producer Mark Gordon.
4: I give
5: all the credit on this to uh, Tom Sherrick, who was the head of distribution uh, at Fox at the time. Uh, We did our first preview. It scored through the roof. And Tom goes, we're going to open this movie on June 10th. And I said, you're out of your mind. You want us to go up against City Slickers, too? And he said, this movie's going to be a huge hit. And I said, wow, you really think so? And he goes, absolutely, and the test screening was, you know, amazing.
0: Something that's interesting in all of this is the crew's perspective. After all, Speed was just a job to most of them, and that's typically the case. They wrapped it up and moved on to the next gig with no real connection to anything that happened after cameras stopped rolling. So news of the quality of what they had made together made its way out slowly. Take first assistant director David Sardi, for example.
6: The next movie that I did after Speed was also a Fox movie. And our exec came to visit our set. and We were in North Carolina up in the mountains and all she could do was talk about this movie that Fox was going to release in the summer that is this amazing film. And I was like, well, what movie is that? Speed. And I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, she was like, Oh, congr- you did that. Oh my God. Yeah. You know? So I already knew before I saw the movie that everybody was raving about it, and the studio suddenly realized that they had a potentially huge blockbuster on their hands.
0: The movie he was working on at that time, by the way, would appear to be Michael Apted's Nell, starring Jodie Foster, which shot in North Carolina. Now let's hear from a new voice on the studio side, and it's a big one. Bill Mechanic. In late 1993, Bill was hired as the new president and chief operating officer of 20th Century Fox, when Speed was already in production. It was a big coup at the time, wooing him away from Disney, where Bill had spearheaded that company's wildly successful home video division in the 80s and early 90s, as well as its international distribution division. Fairly quickly, some sort of corporate restructuring occurred, and Bill was named chairman and CEO of Fox Filmed Entertainment in early 1994, a post he would hold until he left the studio six years later. Under Bill, Fox would enjoy years of success with movies like Independence Day, Titanic, There's Something About Mary, Star Wars Episode I The Phantom Menace, and more. A far cry from where the studio was when he walked in the door. Let me have Bill explain.
6: If you look at the last three or four years before it, certainly there's no consistency, and the studio was bled down to where Fox was in kind of a uh, hell hellhole, rat hole, or whatever, in terms of you know being maybe the worst of the studios with very little production, you know, very little development. When I got there, you know, I changed the release dates and stuff on Mrs. Doubtfire. Mrs. Doubtfire was in a can, and True Lies was in production. One of the movies that had been shot and was just being assembled was Speed. And although it was made sort of more I'd say as a, not a premiere movie. You know, Piano wasn't a star then. Jan's first movie as a director. Sandy was an, a star then. So it was more of a genre kind of picture, just an action picture. It just was done so well. And we had no product, so it became a A centerpiece of trying to keep everything moving, and everything else was a waste of time. Um, I shouldn't say that. Everything else was more fungible. How's that? So the first year was replacing staff, which affects something like speed. You know, the complete new marketing staff. You know, turned all that over, and all the international staff. I mean, how, how bad Fox was that if I wanted to screen a movie, I had to rent the theater on the lot back. From Sony, which at least it everything about Fox was had gone to waste. You know, Murdoch, as you can see, what happened nearly 30 years later, is you know, dumping it. You know, he didn't like movies and didn't like movie companies, which is not a good sign for an owner. So the you know, company was sort of second tier at that time. I guess the simplest way to say it is my final interview when I was meeting Rupert. And I walked into the main administration building and the front door of the administration building, whatever it was called, said Fox Phi Corp know the LM had fallen off and nobody had replaced it. So it was sort of just a fading, you know, former giant with, again, selling off. When I was at Disney, I bought some of the foreign rights on Die Hard 3. You know, so you're selling off your franchises even. And so everything about Fox was, to me, it, when I got there, sort of second rate. And it was about, you know, rebuilding everything and building an infrastructure and making it what it ultimately did become. You know, we went from the 7th rank studio to the first-ranked studio.
0: So Bill is not part of the development equation here. He's working with the product available to him when he's hired at the studio. And along with Sherrick, He's a big part of the decision to go out with Speed to kick off the summer movie season in June of 1994.
6: Which was, I think, World Cup or something like that was there. So people, there were no real major releases against us, you know, which allowed us to pump it up as a big movie. In June, the big releases, especially action-y, male-oriented types of entertainment, are usually stay away from uh, sporting events. And you know, I thought that was an opportunity for the movie to have less competition. You know, generally, it's like anything. Nobody releases an action-y picture on Super Bowl Sunday or something like that, which is, you know, would be more pronounced. But again, to me, it was one of those things of it gave us an opening to let the picture be sampled. If I remember right, we also previewed it, you know, which Fox wasn't doing at the time because... They felt that was giving away tickets, but I on felt on a movie like this, no, you're seating an audience. So the more people you get to talk about it, because you have an audience. To me, what was clearly an audience picture, you should let the people do the talking, not the advertising. I'd say just by you know Jan and Keanu and Sandy, where they were in their careers, it's taking a shot more than it's sure fired. And true lies was would would be considered sh- sure fire with Jim at the peak of career at that time, and arnold and and all that, so that's a different that's when you you know the the goods are there, and you you put the film down you re- you set a release date, and everybody moves away from you. Nobody's going to move away from a speed until it's too late.
0: Now, part of the challenge with this film, as we've noted in various ways throughout this podcast, is the fact that Keanu Reeves was not seen as an action star yet, which is hard to conceive today, four movies into a franchise like John Wick, but that was the case. He was Ted. Well, Bill's answer to that was simple. Fake it till you make it.
6: You know, when we went to market, I think one of the other things we did was treat him like he was like an Arnold or any one of those guys. The ads are all about he's a star, even though he wasn't really a star at the time. Treat the movie like it's a big movie. You have to overcome the fact that the exhibitors were looking at it like, you know, sure. You know, like, what? It's not true lies until you see the movie, you know, or a big picture. But, you know, when you pick a non-competitive release date, you're taking it out of people's hands. You're letting it be the public makes the decision. It was an action film that was a date night movie, you know, that women like as much as men. It wasn't a gunfight movie, so, you know, it wasn't overly violent. The female component was high. You know, it might be a movie that the date night, the girl, the wife, the girlfriend, whoever, might want to see, but very easy to get the guy to go. Or the guy wants to go and easy to get. The girl to So wh- however you want to look at it, it wasn't a gendered action movie, which is more unusual.
0: Okay, let's go a bit deeper. I've talked in previous episodes about the HBO First Look episode for Speed and how that was a pretty seminal moment for me in terms of having an interest in the filmmaking process. The whole series was great. It made use of behind-the-scenes and EPK marketing materials for movies and developed little narratives to carry the viewer through a 30-minute making-of program. And Speed was easily one of the best ones they did because of the sheer amount of material they had to work with. It featured Dennis Hopper as himself and a quasi-hybrid of the Howard Payne character hosting the proceedings, connecting the footage with bits of material that he had filmed with a separate crew. Who was responsible for that? We've heard from this guy briefly before, but I want to bring back Fox's former senior vice president of promotional programming, Tom Grain. He was one of the first people to have an in-house job like that at a studio overseeing EPK production, or electronic press kit. He had crews that would go out and film B-roll of stunt sequences, get on-set interviews with the cast and crew, things like that. Here's Tom.
7: The very first movie I did at Fox went into production about a week or two after I was hired was War of the Roses and Danny DeVito wanted me to shoot this stuff on 16 millimeter. And I was like, that seems like overkill, it's very old school. But, so we shot it on, on 16 millimeter. And then up until I think Castaway was the last one. Whenever there was a movie that I thought was a big behind the scenes kind of like movie, we would shoot it on film, which you know quadruples the cost, quadruples the time. Um, But we did that on speed because you saw that this thing was just going to be a big action and there was just going to be so many set pieces that way that we wanted it to look bigger and, you know, gigantic in terms of its production. And psychologically at that time, I felt doing it on film set it apart from everything else. Obviously in the 60s and 70s, you know, I remember seeing things like on um, Willy Wonka, a making of thing that they would air an ABC after a Sunday night movie, and, and also like um, Annie, and they would do those things on 16 millimeter, but they didn't do them on every film. They only did them on select movies back then. By the time I got into the business, every film had a EPK crew behind it. You know, whether they were spending three or four days on it, or whether they were covering 20 days, or whether they were covering every day, but it was definitely standard by the time I got involved. And mm-hmm. geez, we didn't shoot every day, but I wanna say we probably ended up shooting around 30 days of behind the scenes coverage on that, which probably was, was almost like every other day.
0: Like Tony Sella, who was watching the footage coming in and getting ideas for cutting trailers and promotional materials on his end, Tom was excited about what he was seeing out in the field during production, and he would speak up about it with the suits.
7: That's the unique thing about my perspective of th- that job was being out on set while things are in production. And then I would go back into our marketing meetings and I can sit there and say, you guys got to pay attention to this um, because this, they're actually doing something kind of cool. And I remember the same thing happened on something about Mary, no one freaking talked about that movie. And I'd go down to f- the Florida locations and I'd come back and go and this, they are making the funniest goddamn movie we've forever, you know? And then finally it's like, once they get the screening of a f- first cut, they come back and
0: it's like, Holy crap, you're right. All of a sudden, all the attention pivots, and that's what happened with Speed. Now, regarding these HBO first looks, as a proper series called that, HBO First Look, these began airing in 1992, with episodes centered on Erwin Winkler's Night in the City with Robert De Niro and Bram Stoker's Dracula from director Francis Ford Coppola. Along the way, movies like Blank Man, Drop Zone, Outbreak, Die Hard with a Vengeance, Twister, The Cable Guy, Men in Black, on and on and on through the 90s got this treatment. I guess it's still going on today, though I never watch HBO on Linear TV anymore. Anyway, long before it began airing as an actual series, Tom was busy establishing the blueprint with one-offs.
7: The first one was for uh, Lethal Weapon 2, where the hair and makeup people for um, Mel were pretending like he was making Hope movies. And Mel was such a ham at the time. Um, and so it wasn't as an, an HBO first look. It just kind of happened and they put it on and it did really well. And I think it really helped boost the movie. And, you know, I And mean, that was a time when Mel was considered just fun. And then we did the second one, which we, we did a mockumentary for Edward Scissorhands, where we took like a PBS approach to telling the life story of Tim Burton. And we cast actors to recreate his life and show why as a young child where these imaginations would come from, like living in a nightmare with his, his family and stuff like that. Um, and so after that, then HBO was like, these things do really, really well. And then they came to those of us. So Fox had a deal, an output deal with HBO. So they, they came to us and said, you know, if you guys are interested in doing more of these, we're interested in marrying them. And yeah. research came back around this time, so hands was 90, Speed was 94. So research was in that period came back where it actually showed that it moved the needle marketing wise for the HBO first looks that people would see these things. And I even remember at one point, um, Bill Clinton in an interview saying how he saw one of our HBO first looks on a movie and it made him wanna screen it at the White House. So they, they had a pretty big impact um during the time and and again what you know the, the unique thing about speed is the edward scissorhands one we spent a lot of money on because it was all kind of it was there wasn't a lot of behind the scenes footage it wasn't a making of it was this faux documentary with speed what we did was and, and this is again movies that i thought were big had a big chance and I wanted to elevate them rather than just do a straightforward kind of like long featurette kind of first look. I would do something that would put even more production value in it, which is what we went up to Dennis Hopper as a host and came up with that kind of sub story in the thing about you know he's walking the audience through the making of the movie but then you know he also kind of is a little bit of the character and blows up the Hollywood sign of. The oh hi
1: yeah. Me, Dennis Hopper. Hollywood. Whew. I'd kill for a bus right now. I gotta get out of here. Place to make you crazy. This film I just finished Speed, something about making that movie just put me over the edge. Me. Explosions, chases, stunts. I mean, after all, a bus is just a bus, right?
0: Now, just to back up a bit, you have to collect all of this behind-the-scenes material in the first place. Tom mentioned they had about 30 days of coverage from the set. That was pretty outsized, according to the film's unit publicist, Bob Hoffman.
8: I know that one of the areas in which they allowed a certain level of flexibility in terms of marketing spend was with the EPK, and it was based on the fact that Andrea Jaffe was so impressed by everything she was getting. They knew that the amount of days that we were asking for were reasonable given the physicality of the production.
0: He's referring to the late Andrea Jaffe, Fox's former president of marketing.
8: My recollection was that it got expanded to something like 20 or 25 days. I mean, it got expanded dramatically, as my recollection of it. And it would only happen if you had a, a production that had some unusual feature going for it. I think the unusual feature here was the belief in the marketing department that they were on to their next diehard and that, that they needed to really cover themselves to make sure that they had all the materials that they needed to be able to market the film the way they wanted to which I I think was, you know, the anomaly for the way that most EPKs were done, because most EPKs were, you know, a cat that they'd want to spend $30,000, $35,000 on the making of an EPK.
0: Producer Mark Gordon.
8: Back in those
0: days, the machine
5: worked, and it didn't matter whether you were a $150 million movie or a 28 million dollar movie they had the machine now it's too expensive to do all this stuff and the world has changed
0: you can see the speed hbo first look on youtube by the way i'll link to it at our website it's a lot of fun dennis hopper is such a pro and totally sells it chalk it up to another aspect of the 90s i miss oh and one more aside from tom about all of this
7: and you also gotta remember too and i don't know if anyone's talked about this there was a very similar movie at MGM that came out about the same time um, about a bomber called blown away. And there was definitely concern, kind of like the volcano um, Dante's peak thing. You know, it was the same sort of situation where it was like, who's going to come out first? How are you going to position these things? And I remember having friends at uh, MGM particularly once the, the first look aired and they were just like, we give up. You guys have the goods. We don't.
0: Now, other aspects of the marketing obviously include the poster and trailer. Tony Sella, as he told Tom Jacobson, had tons to work with to craft an exciting trailer. I know I remember it well, and it did its job in driving interest ahead of release. Let's luxuriate in a little bit of that. I know this is just audio, but see if it brings back some memories.
2: Alright, pop quiz. Airport. Gunman with one hostage. He's using her for cover. He's almost to a plane. You're a hundred feet away. What do you think?
7: Shoot the hostage. What? Go for the good wound and he can't get to the plane with her. Clear shot. You're deeply nuts. You know that.
0: All right, gentlemen, what we have here are 13 passengers in an express elevator. Bomb's already taken out
1: cables. Bomber wants $3 million, or he blows the emergency brakes. Anything else that'll keep this elevator from falling? The basement. He can strike anywhere at any time. Will the Mr. Guest please sign in? Why are they messing with me? Do they think I'm doing this for fun? <laughs> for LA cop, Jack Traven.
7: Tell me again, Harry, why did I take this job? Come on, 30 more years of this, you get a tiny pension and a cheap
1: gold watch. Cool. The game began. Very exciting, Jack. <laughs> Some close calls, huh?
2: When someone put the city of Los Angeles to the ultimate test.
1: Pop quiz, shot. There's a bomb on a bus. Once the bus goes 50 miles an hour, the bomb is armed. If it drops below 50, it blows up. What do you do? What do you do?
0: Man, you can see how they did a really great job of building tension there. It's an awesome trailer. And then, of course, there were tons of TV spots, some even featuring that Pat Benatar cover of Rescue Me that we talked about in the soundtrack episode. As that June 10th release date approached, all of this stuff built to a fever pitch. Then, of course, there was the poster. It's somehow equally nothing special and a work of art. And to Bill Mechanic's point, it treats Keanu Reeves like a full-blown action star. His head is featured prominently and massively with one of still-photographer Richard Foreman's shots of the bus jump, surrounded by a Photoshop amalgamation of flames. Richard actually detailed that image a little bit for us at the end of our episode dedicated to the jump sequence, episode 22. But I wanted to bring his voice back in here as well, because, after all, a lot of the material he was getting on set would be used for the marketing of the film. Here's Richard recounting a small example of one such photo, and I think this gives you a nice peek inside the machine.
2: I saw Andre kind of out near the freeway, uh, holding up his light meter, trying to, you know, get a read on the exposure of what it was going to be in the sunlight versus underneath the, uh, the shade of a very large overpass. And I pulled up the camera thinking, oh, this is a great shot for Andre, and all I had was a 28 millimeter lens. And I thought, well, he's just tiny in the frame. So I just framed it so that the shot was Andre as a tiny little person underneath this huge overpass with a gigantic um, column on the right hand side and then the overpass arching kind of at the top of the frame. And I shot it vertical with Andre down in the bottom um, left hand corner. Well, I was going to pull that frame for him, that slide, and just kind of give it to him as a memento but i i never did because in the old days of course it was you know transparencies and because i left that transparency in the stack of all the images advertising pulled that frame wanting to use the column and the arch for the poster and so if you look at the poster it's got that arch over the top of the freeway and the big column coming down on the right hand side it had to have been the original theatrical poster because they gave me five thousand dollars for that archway that freeway overpass they gave me an advertising buyout so anyway it was a lesson learned professionally to um, to give them everything <laughs> don't don't pull anything because you never know when it's gonna you know cost you you know you give a gift somebody and that was a five thousand dollar gift but it didn't happen because I Didn't find the slide, or or I just didn't go to the lab that day, and it got submitted to Fox.
0: And then the final piece of the promotional puzzle ahead of release. The premiere. The glitz. The glamour. The red carpet photos that go all over the world. The interviews from the stars as they file into the first public exhibition of their efforts. This used to be quite the spectacle. You'd see clips on Entertainment Tonight or what-have-you, and you would feel that rush of excitement for an upcoming movie release all the more. The Speed premiere was held at the famed Man's Chinese Theater on June 7, 1994, and the guest list included Bruce Campbell, David Spade, Dwight Yoakam, Edward Furlong, Gary Sinise, Gene Simmons, Jennifer Tilly, Rebecca De Mornay, Eric Stoltz, and, of course, the film's key players. Another attendee was filmmaker Quentin Tarantino, which brings me to this anecdote from Graham Yost.
4: We sit down, and my parents have flown from uh, Vancouver, my brother too. I'm there with my wife, whole group of friends. they, They let me have like 20 tickets. We're all in a row, and I say to Connie, I said, "You know who's sitting behind us?" And she said, "Who?" I said, "It's Quentin Tarantino." He directed that film, Reservoir Dogs, which is cool because that's the one film and he's already known by how he looks, you know, so well promoted and that he's this star, this directing star. She said, you should say hi. And I said, no. His hand comes forward onto my dad's shoulder and says, excuse me. And my dad turns and it's Quentin. And he says, are you all we host? And he says, yes. And he says... I've seen all of your shows, the movie makers, all the interviews you've done. It's unbelievable stuff. And he keeps going. And my dad said, well, this, this, this is my son, Graham. He wrote this movie and he said, I saw it at a sneak preview on Wednesday night. I, I did everything I could so I could see it again. The sweetest guy. And that was a nice uh, a vote of confidence. But what that said to me was OK. And, and this is something I also heard at Fox was people love to feel they discovered something.
0: While we're at the premiere, let's bring back former Fox exec Jorge Saralegui. Here he is, finally able to enjoy the fruits of his labor and of his support. Remember, this is a guy who read Graham's script by happenstance because he was looking for a comedy writer to work on a script about a pig and witness protection. He stuck by speed, stood up for it in meetings, toiled through development with Mark and Graham, played a huge role in putting the various pieces together in front of the camera and behind it, and now. He can bask in the glow of success.
9: On the night of the premiere, it's going to be Fox's first hit under this regime, right? And it's my first movie. And it's just a great party. And at some point, I'm walking out with Peter Ternan, and he put his arm around me and said, Enjoy tonight because it'll never get better than this. And I took him seriously, but he was right. It was such a underdog story all the way and to have it work out like this and have it be the beginning of something, the beginning of Fox being a 90s action place, right? And you know, in the beginning of my career, you know, and and really the beginning of his career as a studio exec, right? It was an unbelievable feeling of like, you know, hard work and overcoming and it all works out and, you know, everybody in the movie is an underdog and,
4: you know, and so forth. People love to get behind the underdog, and Speed was the underdog. It became that something that people, you know, could rally behind because you feel like you're getting into something at the beginning. And we, listen, we all remember, you know, Anthony
0: Lane's review. You know what, Graham? Hold that thought. Next week on 50 Miles Per Hour, Speed finally hits theaters, and it's a runaway popular and critical success. Almost
5: immediately, the audience embraced the movie. It was so fantastic. You cannot even imagine that the audience responds in the same way as you always would hope they would do.
3: And not only was there tremendous excitement about it, or, you know, the numbers were bigger than we had thought, but the feedback was, you know, the sort of exit polls and all those things were just really high. So, like, yeah, we did good.
5: We made this movie that was kind of the little engine that could and I do think that it was a series of happy accidents.
0: And after a wildly successful run at the box office to the tune of $350 million, the film breaks the mold one more time with its home video release.
6: I believe people collect things that are good, and movies that are fun like Speed are rewatchable.
0: All of that and more next week, right here on 50 Miles Per Hour. Thanks so much for listening. 50 miles per hour is written, produced, and edited by yours truly, Chris Tapley. You can find us on Twitter at 50MPHPod. I'm at Chris Tapley. That's Chris with a K. You can also catch every episode and more at our website, 50MPHPodcast.com. If you dug the show, please like and subscribe and do all the things. We'll see you next time.